All right, welcome to episode three of History and Music Podcast. This is your host, Scott Gifford, and I'm here with Sean O'Born. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. Two-time two time special guest. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you are a... Uh, I'm becoming a oh, fixture. Yes, that's the word. You're a fixture. <laughs> that, uh, had a ton of fun last episode. Thanks to everyone that listened um, and is listening now. It's really cool to, to have heard the response that we got from, from last episode. And we're, we're just getting started, so so don't worry. Don't know about a schedule or anything, but but we're we're feeling feeling really energized and really really good about going forward. I don't know about you, Sean, but I do. We got more content on the horizon, man. Oh yeah, we got a whole list. We got people uh, knocking on the door wanting to to share their songs. So I mean, if you're listening to this and think, oh, I have a song, I know this song ha- has cool historical context. Um, if you have one, hit us up. Like it, we're we're totally we want more people. Like you can come on the podcast and, and talk about it with us. It, however, however you can think to communicate with us if you know us just hit us up but if uh, if you don't we have we're on twitter both pretty active on twitter uh my my uh at is dot gif uh sean what's yours mine is at hashtag hey bro with underscores in between each word and hashtag is spelled out obviously. it's one yeah it's, it's spelled yeah. out one word all right, we'll put it in the show notes. So look in the show notes. Um, we'll also we don't have one yet, but we'll probably put like an email in there or something. We'll set up a Gmail to, for, so you can send it in. Yeah, um, I want you blowing up our personal email. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, but as Scott was saying, you know, if you have a song that you think would be a good, you know, one to feature on this, a song that's not necessarily just an old song, but one that discusses some aspect or person thing in history that you enjoy or you know about or something. Let us know, and we'd be happy to do some, you know, minimal research and talk about it. Or better yet, have you come on as a guest and talk about it. But if that's not your thing, or you're a little too, you know, nervous and, and get some stage fright, that's okay too. Um, but we're we're definitely uh, easy either way. Yeah, we might we might try and bully you to come on, but um, we'll definitely uh, do that. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. We didn't talk about this, but uh, what what have you been listening to lately, Sean? So lately I've been listening to uh, those fans of the show will remember that you and I met on sort of just through Twitter mutuals, but one of them was through a music group chat that we're in um, hosted by our good friend, Bob Deduck. And so most I've been listening to now is the stuff that we're posting in that, in that group chat. Yeah. Um, and for those that don't know, the way it works is, is each, each day there's probably about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us in the group, I think. Mm-hmm. And each day, one of us will post just one song and of any song, any song of our choosing. And everyone in the, in the group has to listen to it that day. And give it a thumbs up that you listen to it. And then afterwards, we kind of discuss it in the chat as far as you know, what we liked or the layering or, you know, whatever else about right. that song. So mostly what I've been listening to is is the, the laundry list of songs we've been getting from, from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually, I think it's my turn to post on Sunday. So I've got to think of a good church you want to put on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's always like a, a struggle when it comes out on Sunday. Because like, do I go punk or do I go uh, like something a little more spiritual? Yeah. Well, not only that, but some of the dudes we got in there are, are like straight up just music heads. And so they're like going real deep on some of these songs and analyzing them. And here I am posting like newfound glory. So. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel it. I feel you, man. Yeah. The last one you posted, I had that. That was an interesting was that was the uh, 
He's like Swedish or something, right? Oh, she's German. Yeah, Nina. German. Yeah, it's kind of sort. Of, it's sort of like a like a sort of an '80s. What do they call that wave? You know. Uh-huh. Song, oh yeah, yeah, totally. That one, that one was kind of a crowd pleaser, so I'm I'm good. I think I've redeemed myself with the group with with that song. <laughs> yeah, my 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 last one was that was kind of a crowd pleaser, um, but this one I didn't get much of a reaction. I'm I surprised. Actually... I'm surprised Bob let me in. My submission song was a Fallout Boy song, but whatever. Here I am. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, um, cool. Yeah, that that's that's kind of where I get a lot of my music uh, recently too. Um, I've actually also started kind of a little bit of a chat with my uh, with the Coldbow guys. Shout out to the Coldbow podcast. Where kind of the postings gotten kind of stale there, but you can still go listen to our backlog. They're all pretty uh, evergreen topics. So um, yeah, we're, we're talking about music in there. I actually steal some stuff from those guys to post into Bob the Ducks chat. So. Yeah, Reese, I actually stole your most recent song, the Fote thing. But so, what's up, Reese? I forgot about you last a couple episodes ago. Friend of the podcast. Anyway, cool. Yeah. Um, so, what song was that we just heard? Which uh, that we just the one in, in the intro of the. Of oh the, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so today's song is is by Dropkick Murphys, um, which is an awesome band. They're they're just a, a, a fun, energetic, uh, punk, like Irish folk type punk. Dropkick Murphys. Th- th- this song is called Fields of Athen Rye, which has historical context and it. it's pretty cool. It's kind of a sad song. Uh, Sean, you actually suggested it. Uh, yeah, what's, what's your history in, with this song? I, I realized that in retrospect that because you were the one that, that said we should do that for episode three. We should do this song. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good one, man. And then I went back and realized that I was the one that actually suggested it. Just forgot. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Fields of Athenry. I was never a huge like Dropkick Murphys fan in high school. I liked a handful of their songs. Um, but there's some dudes out there that's all they listen to is like Celtic punk and more power to you. But I, I, I liked a little bit more uh, variety. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I loved this song specifically. It's probably my favorite Dropkick Murphy song ever. So I listened, I listened to the heck out of this one um, when it when it first came out, especially. And I was checking uh, before the show. The song came out in 2003, and that's basically when I graduated high school. So this is basically like the soundtrack to my 03, I would say. Mm-hmm. This and probably some flogging Molly, but we can talk about flogging Molly later. <laughs> oh yeah, well, they're, they're coming up. We might not do it next episode because we don't want two of the similar bands. But uh, too much, too much yeah. Celtic punk in the in the same, yeah, yeah, um, same vein. But yeah, so that, that's sort of my history with it. Is is I love this song in high school, um, and then after we kind of decided to do it for this show, I kind of started to look into, I guess, the historical context of the song, which led us to our show today. But that's that's basically it. I mean, I, I'm like I said, I was not a huge Dropkick Murphys fan. I see, we were talking before the show. I've seen them live once, and you can't even really call it seeing them live because it was at Warp Tour in 2002 in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and it was more like me walking through Warp Tour. And for those that have been, you know, there's like six stages sometimes playing at the same time, like different bands playing on different stages at the same time. And so I was walking through Warp Tour. It was my first Warp Tour in 2002. And I saw Dropkick Murphys playing on one stage, but we were heading to see Rufio, a different band yeah. on a different stage. Uh-huh. And so I, I, but I, I did catch like one or two songs from their set. And what I remember uh, being the most impressed with were, dude, these guys have some seriously dedicated fans. Like oh, yeah. every, I feel like every dude in the crowd was wearing a kilt 
and had like these massive Irish dropkick Murphy's flags they were waving. And it was mm-hmm. like, these guys, it's, it's, I feel like I'm at like a revolution for something. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of that, um, that like European football fan, soccer fan uh, type of vibe where they, like, they just really get up for things. Yeah. The soccer, it's kind of soccer hooligan vibes for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I actually saw him uh, in 2010 at Warp Tour as well. Um, that's the only time I've seen him. Um, I think they were like between Anti-Flag and Andrew WK or something. But they were on the main stage, and so it was, it was a pretty legit like set they did that we watched. It was awesome. They're, they're just like so full of energy. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, before we get into like the actual history uh, within the lyrics, the, uh, you had some insights on the context of the song itself right yeah so i again i didn't know this but the song because when you listen to it and, and everyone knows that fields of afro is a cover song so the dropping murphy's did not write this i don't even think they mess with the lyrics at all so i think the lyrics are verbatim the original lyrics but the original song was written in 1979 it's not mm-hmm. that old at all in fact it's, it's roughly the same era as our last episode song rolling the headless thompson gunner same era late yeah. 70s yeah, so, and it's got very similar vibes. Yeah, it's, it's it's, well, of, kind of, kind of, but not not necessarily like the yeah, historical I, I context. But yeah, yeah, we'll get into so, it. Yeah. So and and so I looked up at the the guy that wrote this um, in '79. The guy's name is Peter Mooney. He's an Irish mm-hmm. guy. He's from Dublin, but he, he goes by Pete St. John, and he's sort of like this Irish folk singer. He's written a bunch of songs. This Fields of Athenry is is far and away. Well, Irish movie reference, um, his best song ever, um, or not, I shouldn't say his best song, his most well-known song. I think it's his best song as well, but it's also the song that he, this is what he's known for is this song. Mm-hmm. And as, as I, as far as I can understand it, I don't think he ever actually sang it. I think he just wrote the the music and the lyrics for it. And other people have just picked it up and kind of put their own little sort of Interesting. spin on it. So basically yeah. any, any version of it is a cover t- uh, to an extent. As I understand, yeah, because I tried looking for like versions of the song sung by the guy that wrote it, and they don't exist. Huh, the first okay. time, because it was written in 79, the first time it was ever recorded that I could find was in um, in 1982. Mm-hmm. So three years after it came out, um, there was a guy named Paddy Riley, another Irish singer who's actually still alive. He's in like his 80s. But he sang a version of it. It's kind of like a slow, very Irish kind of yeah. acoustic ballad. So, and there's other people that have recorded it around the same time. But I think the Patty Wright, the Patty Riley version in '82 is like that. That's what kind of put. That's what put uh, Pete St. John on the map. That's what put Patty Riley on the map. I think that's what put this song on the map. Is that one? Mm-hmm. Because according according to uh, my our, our our sources here. It, it was on the Irish charts for 72 weeks when it came out. That's a long time. Dang. Yeah. So it did some numbers. That's that's awesome. And and so to kind of get a little bit into the um, the history here, it, it, it's about the the Great Famine in the 1840s. Oh, I, I apologize. Um, it, it actually it actually was recorded in 79 first by some guy named Danny Doyle. So it was recorded oh. by a different singer. And then Patty Riley, Patty Riley picked it up three years later, and, and that's what really took off. But yeah, my bad. Yeah, no, that's fine. Well, um, I didn't want to get I'd... some angry email. Like, actually, <laughs> the first guy that did this was Danny Doyle, idiot. <laughs> um, I, I'm well. I'm loving all the names that saying it because they're all so freaking Irish. It's yeah, funny. yeah. Um, Can you make it sound more Irish? <laughs> 
so so the song is about a a pretty depressing and and horrible event happened in the 1840s uh the mid to late 1840s the, the great famine or the great hunger and what, what's kind of interesting that i read is that th- there's very little irish th- there's a lot of irish art out there like lots of songs and poetry and and uh novels and stuff like that but none that are necessarily explicitly about the great famine um and and some some historians have, have said that in the following years no one really wanted to talk about it and so it didn't uh it there's not a whole lot of art there's a lot of art that's influenced by it It, it's very lots of irish art is depressing and stuff and i think that's this is a big reason why but um not a lot that is explicitly about the event um and so i think it's kind of cool that this song even though it's late better than never something to commemorate something that happened and, and should be remembered yeah. And and for those keeping track at home, the, I guess I didn't know this, but the, the Irish call it the Great Famine, the Famine or the Great Hunger. Mm-hmm. In, in like outside Ireland or, or based in the United States, we call it the Potato Famine. So yeah. it's the Potato Famine that they're talking about. They just call mm-hmm. it the Famine. Everyone else calls it the Potato Famine. Yeah. So it's, it's I mean, eight, I guess 1845, I think, is when it started and it lasted for about four or five years. Yep. But they they estimate that that during this time the Irish lost a, a million people from basically starvation, some sickness as well. But in addition to that, there was over two million Irish that basically emigrated to different places across the world. I, I think mostly um, the U.S. and Canada, and so and, and Australia and Australia, yeah. And so it kind of changed the, the demographics of Ireland because of that. And, and I, I was talking to Scott before the show. I believe this is one of the main reasons why we have so many Irish in places like Boston and New York is because mm-hmm. of this. Totally. They, they, left, they left Ireland literally starving. They moved to the slums of Boston and, and New York. And, and that's how we kind of have that sort of stereotypical, you know, Irish guy and, in, in, you know, the inner city new york you have irish neighborhoods yeah. and that kind of thing from, and and, and speaking to that stereotype um it was the uh it was the the poor and destitute that had to leave and so those are the ones that were showing up on the shores or on the in uh into america and so they uh and they came in as mostly catholic irish catholic and so there, there was well america was mostly protestant so there was a lot of conflict between the the new irish population coming in and so that that's one of the uh, one of the effects i guess of the of this famine but but to get to kind of the beginning um i didn't realize that it, it had the so it was caused by a blight on um the potatoes right and that that started it actually it started in mexico um, yeah, see, I didn't. I didn't know that. I actually had to look I up didn't. what a blight, what a blight even was. I've heard the yeah. word before, but mm-hmm. I, I, I guess it's a fungus or yeah, like a mold. Exactly. It, it's there. There is a scientific name for this particular one. I, I didn't write it down, so but it doesn't matter. But yeah, it. it they they assume that it, it came across on Irish or on American ships to Europe, and it affected all of Europe. So all of Europe had this potato blight, but but it mostly affected ireland because they were so dependent on the one crop and it wasn't just potatoes in general it was one species like one species of potato that they were 100 percent dependent on at least well, and uh, that's um, all they grew that was the yeah. one thing they grew the one thing they knew how to grow for the most know how to grow excuse me yeah uh, 
for the most part. And so that's well, well, why it was so that devastating. Was, that, that was for like the um the peasant class. That's what they yeah. ate, and that's all they had. Like ninety percent of their diet, basically. Um, they did grow other crops, but um, but it wasn't for the Irish. It was for the for the British farmers that owned the land. And so they, it, that's another interesting part is British Br Britain's role in the whole thing because um, they were under Britain rule at the time. The, so the, the, there were, for the most part, the farms and stuff were owned by British uh, businessmen and farmers and stuff. And they and the the people that the Irishmen that were actually farming uh, were just were renting or or were working for the the British. Yeah, it was almost like sharecroppers or something. I was, yeah, I was reading like about that. this. And I mean, there, there's whole history classes dedicated to this kind of thing, mm -hmm. like the history of, of economy, the history of labor and, and labor oh, yeah. changed over time. So not my not my flavor of history, but some dudes are into it. Yeah. But one thing that, that was interesting, and and I guess I had known this, but sometimes like the the, the scale of just, I guess, just British control of certain parts of the world is kind of astounding. It is. So, like, Britain had ruled, Great Britain had ruled Ireland more or less since about the 1100s, maybe a little before that. And they always had a monarch, king or queen, obviously. They still have one today. But the, the number two person in power in Ireland was someone they called the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, so basically the king or queen would appoint this like a governor of the island, basically of Ireland. And they were called the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. And from basically the 1100s until 1922, there was a Lord Lieutenant of Ireland appointed by the British crown. And that guy was basically, he was supposed to live in Dublin Castle in Dublin, but he was supposed to be sort of like the, I guess the president of Ireland until Irish independence. And I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's like, was it 800 years? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's hard to fat. Like, like we don't think in that, in that, like, I mean, America's uh, like a fraction of that. Right. And so we don't we, like, it's hard to fathom that type of that, that length of time under a, this, a single rule, you know? Yeah. We'll, we'll find stuff here. It's like, Oh, look at this house. It was built in like 1890. That's super old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, <laughs> so I was on, I, I was on a uh, Google maps and kind of, punching around in in Athenry, the the town that it's it's an actual town in uh, or village in in Ireland and I was like kind of walking around on street view and like looking at old walls and like try, trying to think like I wonder how how old that like stone wall is cuz it I mean it could be 1000 years old or more you know Yeah well when I was reading about it too cuz it's a small little town in County Galway and it's like I, apparently one of the things it's known for is the the street plan like the layout of the roads in the town mm -hmm. dates back to the 13th century like the anglo normans like laying out so even like their roads are from the 1200s which yeah. is wild yeah yeah there, there's <laughs> like know? there's a castle in the middle of town and like a little archway that's like maybe 10 feet wide that little, little cars can go under like that's a that's a modern road now but i'm sure it was just like horse and buggy going under it when it was built yeah it's yeah, crazy. it's crazy. And and what's interesting is no one, apparently, from what I understand, no one heard or cared about Ath and Rye until this song came out. Then all of a sudden people are, you know, now it's it's, it's put on the map, like I said earlier. And I, I guess that the mayor of Ath and Rye or the, the, you know, the, the city councilman, whoever is in charge of the town, invited Pete St. John, the guy that wrote this song, after the uh -huh. song kind of gained some traction, they invited him over and like gave him a key to the city or something like that for. That's uh, hilarious. Yeah, for. um. 
for, for, I guess, just, you know, adding to the income, I guess, from, from, uh, you know, just people traveling there. Yeah. That's funny. Well, yeah. yeah. If you think about like some small town here, they get a, a huge song, like it with all this historical context and yeah, I could, I could totally see that. Yeah. But why don't we, uh, should we dive into the, the lyrics here a little bit? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. We can, we can, we can pull some history out of these lyrics for sure. Yeah. This, most of them is, I mean, the, the chorus is repeated over and over again. And a lot of it is just sad Irish being sad Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't really need to delve into those, but, but one thing I kind of want to do is just sort of pick out the stuff that is a reference to something specific because mm-hmm. the song is not real. It's not based on a real person. It's not based on a real story that the that the writer like heard about or anything. Supposedly, he heard a story about a guy that stole something and, and was placed on a prison ship to Australia. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the, the the genesis of the song. But I, there's, there's, there's actually some historical precedent for that. I'll get into it later. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there definitely is. But as far as like Pete St. John, the writer for this song, uh-huh. he doesn't have. As far as I know, he doesn't have a personal connection to it. I don't think he was descended from people that were on, you know, prison ships or anything like that. I think it's just more of, he just wanted to write a really, you know, a really Irish song about hating England. Yeah. But anyway. So, and, the, the, but, but real quick, that that's, uh, if, if you listen to the, to our last episode about Roland had this Thompson gunner, it's, it's a little bit in that same vein where it's a historical context with, uh, with like a fictional story, um, to, 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 um, I guess make it land. Right. Right. And so the song is told from, it kind of starts off, it starts off as the point of view of someone who is overhearing a conversation between a man and a woman, you later find out her husband and wife, and the woman is on the outside of this wall, a prison wall, and the husband is in prison. And mm-hmm. as, as, as we go along in the song, what you find out is she's a young girl, she's talking to her husband, this guy named Michael, and they've taken him away because he stole Trevelyan's corn so that their kids would survive the night, basically. So they have something to right, eat. Right. And so because of that, they're going to put him on a prison ship. Right. And, now, and the, I, go ahead. No, you, you had something to say. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I was, so the, the one thing is, is the guy's name is, is for you stole Trevelyan's corn so the young might see the morn. And I thought maybe they just picked like a real British name, Trevelyan. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. like the Bond villain. Because I think uh-huh. I think in the in the, in the James oh. Bond is it Trevelyan isn't that the Sean Bean character from that oh. Bond movie? I don't um, even know. Yeah, but um, so what I, when I looked it up, I realized that this Trevelyan guy he's a real dude. Really? And yeah, his name is. I, I looked it up. His name is Sir Charles Edward Trevelyan, first baronet. He, he wow. went full. He went full British on the name. And during the time that we're talking about the the Great Famine, the Irish Potato Famine, uh-huh. he he was. Um, in the sort of, I guess, the high, some higher up government position with the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. So remember, the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland is sort of like the governor of Ireland appointed mm-hmm. by the crown. Well, this guy, Sir Charles Trevelyan, was up there in that government during this time. And the reason why it's important that they say they, that he stole Trevelyan's corn is because the Irish didn't grow corn. Yeah. Uh, they grew potatoes, right? Which is why they're in right, the situation right. they're in. But Trevelyan, this guy, this this British guy that was sort of over the Irish during the potato famine, hated the Irish, like most Brits yeah. then and now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> hated the Irish. And, um, and, and he actually believed that the potato famine was God's judgment being passed on the Irish. And he actually wrote that to an Irish friend. 
during mm-hmm. the potato famine. <laughs> the guy had the guy had no chill. Um, yeah, yeah, he, it was it was like I don't know if racism is the right word, but they but they were definitely lower class, like almost subhuman to many of the British back then. Yeah, yeah, and and so what's interesting though is he so this this Trevelyan guy and the real the real version. He believed that, oh, well, since the, the, the Irish don't have potatoes to grow because of this blight, they just need to grow corn and mm-hmm. then they can survive. They'll have something to eat. They'll have something to sell. The problem is, is the Irish didn't know anything about corn. They didn't know right. how to prepare it. They didn't. Now it seems silly because in our modern knowledge and we can just Google something or, you know, right. we, we, we sort of have like this sort of wide slice of knowledge that applies to several different things. So I can, I can sort of figure out how to grow corn, not knowing it beforehand. This is a different world. This is the 1840s. Right. And the Irish didn't know anything about corn, how to prepare it, how to, how to grow it. And it was, it was more expensive than potatoes. Right. So they couldn't afford it. Didn't know how to make it. Well, there's less like actual edible piece of corn. Like, like if you think about a corn, uh, cob of corn versus a potato, but, but, but also there's, um, what I read that, that, there was a, this was a pretty big attempt on the British's part, on Britain's part to stop the famine was to replace corn and they bring it in from America. And there, there's lots of reports of scurvy because there, there's no vitamin C in corn while potatoes did. And so um, they, they tried to replace it wholesale, replace corn wholesale. Um, and uh, it just doesn't have the nutrient content that, that uh, potatoes did. Yeah, and, so, and they could they can they couldn't afford it anyway, yeah. and that was the whole. And they hated probably, it too. Yeah, they, they, and that's probably half the reason for the potato famine was because the Irish were just, were already poor, mm-hmm. and now they couldn't grow potatoes to sell to make money to pay their rent or feed themselves, and so now Britain's going, hey, here's this more expensive food you can buy, which is actually worse for you, right. and so that that's what that's what's so ironic about that line is. This guy is stealing corn from the guy that said the Irish should eat corn, kind of a mm-hmm. let them eat corn situation. <laughs> oh, and yeah, because, yeah. yeah. And so because of that, the the dad who, you know, Michael, who's stealing the corn from this Sir Charles Trevelyan guy, he's now going on a prison ship. Hmm. Um, and so, one so other a, thing, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So a little, um, a little history on, on like the whole being in prison thing was uh, something interesting I saw was, a lot of uh, men, maybe not, it maybe doesn't fit this story exactly because he's married and has kids. But a lot of a lot of people would steal food. It was very common um, back then, and uh, a lot of them would actually try and get caught just so they can go to prison and get a meal once a day or something like that, or even yeah. get, or even like this, like this song later on in the song, get get sent to a penal colony like Australia or something where there's where there isn't the famine, where you can have actual food. You, like it's it's better to be. Uh, to be in prison and have food than starving in your own house type thing. Right. And um, what's what's also interesting about this is a prison ship lies waiting in the bay. A prison ship is a certain type of ship. It, it's basically one to carry prisoners, obviously, based on the mm-hmm. name. But I I was always under the impression that prison ships were like this old thing of the past where you're, you know, they, they chain these guys up down the, you know, the, the, bowels of the ship there's no light down there mm-hmm. very little air it's like stuffy, more of a more of like a cattle barge than a than yeah yeah mm-hmm. which which is what it was i mean the the, the brit the british 
um, had prison ships during the Revolutionary War, and that's where they kept American prisoners mm. in, in in Brooklyn, off the coast of Brooklyn. Actually, they had like eight thousand American soldiers kept in a in a really um, yeah the HMS Jersey is what it was called. It was quite literally a prison ship, and most of their bones after the war were actually buried in this. Or they were actually sort of the, the British sunk the ship after the war mm-hmm. and all the bones washed up on shore. So they gathered them and put them in this massive urn and it's, um, you can actually go to um, Brooklyn uh, Naval Yard mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, New York. And it's there right now. And it's literally called the prison ship martyrs monument. Wow. And it's all these revolutionary war soldiers that, that died in the prison ship. But the, the, the point is, is you think of prison ships as something from that era. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I was reading about this, I didn't know this, but during the troubles in Ireland, which is in the seventies, they had a prison ship then off the mm-hmm. coast of Dublin and they would capture these IRA guys or these Irish Republican guys and put them in a straight up prison ship off the coast. Like it's 1750. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was in the seventies. Like my dad was alive. You know what I mean? It's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, so. I mean, if you're, if you're thinking of like deterring escape and all that stuff, like that, that's not a, a bad place to keep your prisoners. If you can, if you can like, it works i don't know that's, yeah. that's crazy i guess i guess it's supposed to deter escape yeah now the prison ship like from the 70s in ireland they, they weren't shipping them to botany bay or whatever but they just mm-hmm. kind of it was more like a floating jail mm-hmm. but in this case it was it was shipping them off but we'll, we'll keep moving though so do you want to you want to keep going scott or do you want me to go ahead okay oh that's fine so I, I was only talking about the first verse then it has the chorus you know low lie the fields of Athen rye and it talks about how they were once in love watching birds fly and we had dreams and songs to sing um it goes on to sort of clarify why this michael guy's in prison so it's verse two it's now the man michael talking back to his wife over the prison wall her name's mary we find out he's michael and he says nothing matters mary when you're free against the famine and the crown so it's this idea of well we're fighting kind of like a two-front war here we're not only fighting just to stay alive with this famine, we're also fighting the bloody British. Yeah, kind of idea because that that kind of gets into uh, that they weren't necessarily like strictly a, like a monoculture, just single crop nation. That they they they, uh, they did grow um, lots of stuff like like dairy. Like they've always been known for their dairy and 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 cows and stuff. But yeah, that was shipped off to 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 the crown, like uh, what uh, England essentially. Yeah. So. And so they're they're fighting the famine, and then they're watching. What, what, what a lot of them, a lot of historians say is that they they were, uh, what is it? They were starving in riches. Like they they had all this, they had a ton of, uh, well, not a ton, but they had other food to eat. But it was all being shipped off to England. And so uh, right. that, that that's another thing that they were fighting against with the crown. But they had yeah. no choice. Well- and and part part of this was was this this farm system they had in Ireland. All the all the land was owned by, oftentimes wealthy elites, usually Brits, and mm-hmm. they allow the Irish, the local Irish, to farm the land, farm potatoes on the land, and then sell the potatoes to pay their rent. But the rent they were paying even before the famine, that they basically could only make ends meet. They they, they could only make their rent by selling the potatoes they grew. And so in order to feed themselves, they would have to oftentimes take a second job or something on the side or the wife would have to do some other work. And that's how they bought their food was from mm-hmm. that because selling the potatoes basically just kept them out of, out of debtors prison, you know, kept right. them out of jail for not paying their rent to the British. Right. And now they have no potatoes. And that, that was a big, a big thing was, was the, uh, 
uh, what's the stupid word? They they got kicked out of their houses basically. Like they like mm-hmm. they they fell short on their rent and they would get kicked out of their houses. That the Brits would like destroy the house so they couldn't come back. Um, it was pretty bad. I think they actually show that in the movie Far and Away. Since I was talking about it earlier, because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the. I think it's the same era because that's the one where um, Tom Cruise is like an Irish guy, like a poor Irish guy, and yeah. his yeah. dad dies, and like the British come or some wealthy. Irish guy who's in the sort of in the pocket of the British, like comes and burns their house down. And so he has to like leave to America and join the great land rush in Oklahoma right. with Nicole Kidman. Yep. 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 I remember so, that. Yeah. So yeah, the, the word I was looking for is evicted. They, they were, the, the, it was, they were evicted out of their land and they, they either died or went to America or got sent to a p- penal colony or something. I don't know. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. But I mean, that's so that's most of what we just talked about is like the history of the song because over and over again, it's just it's the chorus like low lie the fields of Athens rye where once we watched the small free birds fly our love was on the wing we had dreams and songs to sing. It's so lonely round the fields of Athens rye right. just repeated. But the, the last the last thing I was going to touch on um, is in verse three, the very last verse. It now says that Mary, this wife, is now by a lonely harbor wall. So now she's she's moved from the prison wall to the harbor wall. Mm-hmm. She's watching the last star falling. And as the last star is falling, the prison ship that has her husband is, is sailing out against the sky. And you also find out earlier in the song that um, she has a baby and that she's right. now going to have to raise this baby with dignity on her own because the husband's mm-hmm. gone. Right. So, but what, what the, the line I was going to talk about is says, sure, she'll wait and hope and pray for her love. And they say botany bay is how they say it in the song, but it's botany bay, like mm-hmm. a botanist. And I, I didn't know where that was until a few years ago when I looked it up. Botany bay is a, a real bay that still exists. It's in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually um, right. I think it's like South part of Sydney now. But Botany Bay is sort of a catch-all term that's used by, you know, the, the Brits, the Irish, Europeans to sort of signify a penal colony, a British penal colony. Because Botany right. Bay was the very first penal colony that the British ever used in Australia. And they just called it Botany Bay because that's where they landed was this bay in Australia mm-hmm. um, that they called Botany Bay. And I guess after like a few months of being there, they realized this Botany Bay place was terrible. There was like no fresh water. The soil was poor and there was really just nothing <laughs> to nothing to do there. So they moved it to a different spot that wasn't even in Botany Bay, but they still kept kind of kept using that term Botany Bay to signify a penal colony in Australia. And so that's the whole thing is this guy is basically stealing corn from this British official to feed his kids for one day, he mm-hmm. gets captured and shipped off to Botany Bay, Australia, to a penal colony, leaving his wife and kids at home and destitute and hungry. Right. And she's just basically going to do the Irish thing of, you know, wearing her clotter ring and waiting for her husband to come home. Finally, who knows when that'll be, you know, exactly. from, from, from literally across the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a uh, very depressing <laughs> But yeah, if you get into much of history, that's usually what happens. A little bit I wanted to get into actually back to uh, verse two, when it says against the famine and the crown, I rebelled, they cut me down. 
um, that there there was a lot of rebellions. Like there there was kind of a, a rise in like Irish nationalism uh, during this time because like they they basically were trying to, they wanted to fight the British. Like they wanted to get the British out. Like it was mostly failed attempts at uh, at this type of stuff. But um, but it did have they they were able to the british were able to like squelch a lot of the a lot of the rebellions at the time but it had long-reaching effects into the future um and you can you can read about irish irish history uh, as far as that goes on your own but yeah yeah but but it also also there was um and a little bit more into that there was in 1879 there was another blight that hit potatoes um and so it kind of started up again but they were a little more prepared this time um, and were able to fight the the British like th- this landlord tenant stuff that started happening again. But they were able to rebel against it and sometimes physically stop from being kicked out of their land and stuff like that. So th- they they had organized a bit because of this and and were able to to protect themselves in the future. Yeah. And one thing uh, I actually forgot to say, talking about this Sir Charles Edward Trevelyan guy, mm-hmm. um, he it's it's funny because not only did he have this like just huge anti anti Irish sentiment, but supposedly he is one of the guys blamed for the potato famine. One reason being is uh, he is partially the cause for the the government, the British government's slow response to the potato famine. Right. And the reason why he had a slow, and the reason why they call it a slow response is because, like you said, potato famines have happened before. It actually happened in Scotland, like just a few years before this, not nearly as bad because the government responded, you know, offered help, whatever. But the Irish, being the Irish, being hated by the British, mm-hmm. the, the British kind of said, well, you know, he's, he's actually quoted as saying, like I said before, the judgment of God sent the calamity to teach the Irish a lesson. Like, as right. starving to death. Right. But what I think is so funny is the guy kind of had like proto-libertarian ideals. And that's yeah. actually the reason why. He, yeah. What do they call laissez-faire? Yeah. Yeah. He, he delayed help was because he had, a, because of his, he had such a strong belief. This is his own admission. He had such a strong belief in laissez-faire economics and the free hand of the market. Yeah. So it's just libertarians get bent. I mean, this dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing that, 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 the market will correct itself, man. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And, and it's one of those things where you read that because I read that and it was like, oh my goodness, this fight has been going on for this long. Like, yeah. oh my goodness. Like you, you think our problems and our ideas are all new? Man, no, nothing is new under the sun. Like that yeah, they've been a fighting. A million this people thing. starving to death, and the guy's like, nah, the free market will fix it, man. Just give it a little bit. Give it some time. <laughs> Have meat some corn. <laughs> exactly which is more let, expensive let, let them eat corn exactly yeah that i know is, i love it that's hilarious i feel like i feel like that's got to be so stereotypically british and libertarian mm-hmm. at the same time <laughs> but yeah um so, so i wanted to get a little bit into a, a few nerdy numbers but it, it kind of has to do with like how this affected the british population which i found really interesting so before this you mean um, the irish that, population yeah, sorry, Irish population. Um, before this, the the average marriage, uh, the age of marriage for British women was twenty one, and for Brit- I keep saying British, uh, and then <laughs> Irish men is twenty five. Um, after this, it shot up to for women was twenty nine, and for men was thirty three, and then a third of men didn't get married, and a, a fourth of 
of women never got, never got married after this just because of economic problems and low wages and stuff like that. And so if you think about how that would affect not only losing um, just like in a felt in a matter of like five years, losing, losing a million people um, to immigration and then also that much to death or more uh you think about how that would affect your your uh your whole nation and then late age of marriage like you're not having as many babies like it this really affected ireland for a long time um, they call they call it a genocide did they, they? they referred yeah this is this is referred to in some circles as a genocide against the irish because if you look at how much it changed the demographics of ireland you're exactly right i mean how long did it take for ireland to recover they, they may never have recovered from this exactly you know yeah. And, and, and talk about like a chip on the shoulder. It all started with like, it, it, with, I mean, I, I can't say it definitively, but man, this, uh, cause obviously the, there had been some, there had been feuds between Britain and, and Ireland before this, because the, the, the nature of, of how Britain dealt, dealt with it. But, but man, this, uh, this really put a chip on the shoulder for, for, for the Irish and, there were there were some like you said some specific british dudes that were pretty evil in their in their approach to how to deal with this uh, yeah well, i just but, it's 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 that atypical just the elite being out of touch right yeah and totally. you know partially it's like oh no this is god's judgment because they're catholic or because they're irish or whatever and then mm-hmm. oh, okay we'll send them some help we'll send them some corn which they can't afford and don't know how to eat yeah yeah they're thinking yeah. like if they can if they can survive on potatoes like sure they can survive on corn yeah. as well yeah yeah, it's interesting. So one thing that I was also going to mention is like, what are your thoughts on why Dropkick Murphys did this song? It's a cover. They didn't write it and they didn't release this song until 2003. Mm-hmm. Well, th- like, I think a little bit of what my thoughts on this is, is like, if you, th- if you listen to this song, it's a little different from the rest of the songs that they do. Uh, it's not like, it, it's a little slower pace. I think they're, they're trying to give it a little more. Um, it's like a, a ballad. Like a ballad, and they're and they're trying to pay their respects basically to this. Um, and I think you can you can tell that maybe it affected them personally. Well, obviously they're Irish from Boston, so so they're probably descendants from people that that came from Ireland at this time. And so yeah, it feels like uh, a tribute, and they wanted to make it special. And so it's more of a ballad, less of like a punk rock, just like slamming through a song like they do in a lot of their songs. And so. Yeah, I think, I think it is yeah. to pay respect. And for yeah, and for for those for those listening uh, to like the different versions of this song, the Dropkick Murphys one is definitely the most like upbeat. But from the ones I've listened to, it also has the most bagpipes, which I think is kind of ironic because the original original one I think just has like an acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. and then there's another cover by I think the Dubliners or somebody else where they sort of have like a bagpipe kind of playing in the background a little bit, but. The Dropkick Murphys version, their their piper is a guy named uh, Spicy McHaggis. He um, he actually plays the tune, like the, the actual tune of the song on the bagpipe as opposed to sort of background music. And there's actually a slight background solo that turns into a duet between the electric guitar and the bagpipe that's just awesome kind of towards like the end of the song. So it, it definitely it definitely does get the blood pumping, even if you're not Irish. But Oh, yeah. But it's yeah, they're, they're the Dropkick Murphys for those for those that don't know are punk rock, but kind of with a Celtic flavor. They are from Massachusetts, um, and they've this is not actually the first 
cover they've done. They've done several covers of like Irish songs and traditional Irish songs. Um, we may get to them a little bit later, but yeah. Anything else you want to say on this one? Uh, no, Scott? no, just that like, I love this. Now that we're getting into like the dropkick Murphy's style of music, I love the style of music. I feel like it speaks to me. And so um, I've had a ton of fun with this with this episode and, and, and listening to the song. So so thanks for for sharing it. And I hope our audience has has just as much fun. Another thing I wanted to say that this is kind of beside the point is is another big point of the podcast in general. This kind of meta thing is that we want this to be like a jumping off point for you um, as an audience member to like kind of get interested in in the the Irish potato famine. Go go study it yourself. Go go look at how this might have have affected your own family, your own city that you're in, how it shaped the the world, and as and then as minute as like your own town. Go go and look let, us, at let it. us know what you find. Totally. Oh yeah. Um, awesome. We we can we can totally do like addendum episodes where we come back and and revisit things. Like we're we're totally this is this is like pretty, I would say laissez faire uh, podcasting. Um, where we can ha have anybody we want on we're no rules so anyway yeah hey can i share two fun facts about the writer of this song sure peter mooney aka pete st john so number one um the guy was born in 1932 he mm -hmm. literally just died in march of this year oh really yeah he was 90 years old so the guy that wrote this song died just a few months ago well this is a tribute just... to him yeah yeah so pete st john Good on you, man. One other thing that was interesting is, so this guy is, is like we said earlier, he's kind of this Irish folk singer guy who I, I guess didn't sing a lot of songs himself, but he wrote a bunch of songs that other people did. One of his other more well-known songs is called The Rare Old Times, which mm -hmm. Dropkick, or not Dropkick Rubies, um, Flogging Molly covered. Oh, so nice. I guess that we might get to that later. Oh. But one of his other songs was covered by another punk band uh, that they, does even even more Celtic punk than Dropkick Murphys. So. Oh yeah, they're uh, this guy might be fueling a couple episodes of the History Music podcast. Yeah, awesome. for sure, for sure. <laughs> and another little uh, tidbit is um, most people of our faith, the LDS faith, will know what was happening in 1847 in Utah. Which is the, the so to give you a little bit of a reference on uh, time frames and stuff, Brigham Young walking into the the Salt Lake Valley um, in eighteen forty seven. So, yeah, give you a little uh, reference there. Yeah, and uh, and the the worst year of the potato famine was eighteen forty seven. They actually call it Black Forty Seven. Yeah, they did. That the more people died that year than any than any other time during the famine. Yep, and then just uh, on the other side of the world, almost we were we were settling the the fair state of Utah, which is awesome. My 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 ancestors were so my, mine too. Also, because the government was uh, putting the boot on us. Yep, yeah, they, <laughs> uh, we run from the government. That's a yeah. common thing. All right, well, I think we're winding down a little bit. That was that was awesome. Like like I said, I I had a blast with this episode. At first, when you when you suggested it, I. I assumed it was something Irish. The Dropkick Murphys, Athen Rye sounds sounds uh, sounds Irish, but uh, th this was really fun. Um, yeah, and, my, and and it's and it's one of those. Uh, sorry, it's one of those true. subjects where I feel like everyone knows about it vaguely, but I, I don't. But like details and stuff are so fun to get into. So yeah, I suggest anyone that that does think they know a lot about it, go learn some more. There, there's some cool details in there, and some and some like funny sad stuff go look into it 
Yeah. And uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But oh, I, yeah. So the the reason I the reason I sort of picked this song is because I, I remember learning that oh, this song isn't even that old. This song is written in, in like 1970. This song was written six years before I was born. It's not mm-hmm. old, not old at all. It's not from the era. There are references in it that are legit from the era, and that's part of the reason why I, I, I like bringing up this song is because. You know, one that'll appeal to our millennial audience for sure, but also because it's uh, it, it mentions some very specific things there that if you didn't look it up, you wouldn't know. Like the Trevelyan with the corn line, right? Ge- genius line for what he's trying to convey here. Mm-hmm. But I always just thought like, oh yeah, they're they're poor and starving, stealing food. Okay, simple as you know. It's yeah, exactly. Ir- Irish stuff, but I don't realize that it had that much color behind it. Yeah, you know, for who, and who this guy was, and and you know why they were stealing the corn, why it was corn, and not something else, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, not just to rhyme or something, right? But but that that's kind of coming from our, uh, I guess, limited view on history based on like location. Like like I grew up in a Utah elementary high school, you know, I I I learned about this this famine, but. I'm sure it, like the, the Irish and, and, and probably many around Europe learned a lot more about it um, in their schools. And so if you are Irish or you're, or you're more familiar with it, be patient with us. We, uh, <laughs> we might've made mistakes, but, but just, just let us know. Um, and a moment of silence for the uh, potato famine. <laughs> All right. Um, well, cool. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll end it here. Um, again, another plug to to hit us up. Look in the show notes. We uh, we want suggestions. We have a list of our own songs, but we will take pre- like you will take precedent if you hit us up. Believe me. So uh, so do it. And stay tuned. We actually have a couple guests lined up for the coming weeks. So stick with us. And um, shout out to uh, Scott's other podcast, the Cold Bow Podcast. That's C-O-L-D-B-O-W, Cold Bow, one word. So yeah. check them out. They have quite a uh, an extensive catalog where you guys discuss mostly movies, right? Yeah, movies, kind of a movie podcast. Yeah. yeah, movies and video games and other cool stuff with just basically dudes being bros. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so stick with us. Thanks for listening, guys. All right, we'll see you.
Call sign or what is it like the outro yeah because Brett has like the Brett has like the this has been Brett Kane and Tom Nickelman out out <laughs> yeah we didn't we don't have yeah. that.